you guys raise this vibration in this room. Woo! Yeah! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, yes. Wow, way to set the tone. We made it. Merry Christmas. Yeah, well, almost, we're almost there. Did you get your, uh, did you get all your presents wrapped? No. Did you get your lights up? Yeah. Okay. You got the end ready for the in-laws? Not so much? Okay. I don't know about y'all, but leading up to this, this year, for some reason, it's felt like a race. I've been rushing to get here, and there's been all this stress and anxiety, and it's like, what? What's going on? I feel like, I'd like to believe it's a childlike excitement, but with that came a lot of childlike tendencies. I've been petulant, <laughs> been kind of grumpy. I think my wife called me, I think my wife called me a baby yesterday. And I was like in the, the Christ child way or in the bad way? <laughs> I think it was uh, the latter. But in the midst of all this phrenic energy I had about getting ready for this talk, holding space on this day that I love so much, that means so much to me and I'm sure all of you, my good friend and our beloved Molly Steele just randomly sent me this text. And it, it, was, it was divine timing because it hit me. And I was like, let me read this. It's, uh, it's lessons from a Christmas tree. Be a light in the darkness. We all fall over sometimes. You can never wear too much glitter. Amen. Bring joy to others. Sparkle and twinkle as often as possible. And it's okay to be a little tilted. And Whew, that last one resonated with me so much. I've been doing a lot of mea culpas. I've been, you know, we just, we don't have to be perfect. This time of year and this story, it's about perfection in the imperfect world. It's about striving to be something greater that we all have the potential to rise to. But it's not going to be that way all the time. And as we come to the end of the year, I always think that it's, Nice to look back and see where we started. A lot of times it's a lot different. It's not what we thought it would look like. But we're here nonetheless, and it's, as this year ends, I'm sure it's been full of surprises. And it's always so nice to look back and see where we're at. Right now I'm holding this Bible, this cool 1970s Bible that my mom always read to us. And she had this penchant, this knack for busting this thing out on Thanksgiving right in the middle of the football game. <laughs> and she'd come in, much to my dad and my brother and my chagrin, and she'd start reading Luke and Matthew, trying to get us ready for the Advent season. And she'd break out her nativity, and all I'd be focused on is the fourth quarter of the game I was missing. But I sat there, and I didn't really take the message in. It sounded a lot like the teacher from Charlie Brown. All I heard was a wah, 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 wah. And uh, it's about joy, finding joy in the world of new opportunities, because... My mom would be beside herself, and I still am a little bit, that I'm holding this Bible, this book, and I'm giving the Christmas message at a church. <laughs> mom, Christmas miracles do happen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> and I, I encourage us all, as we listen to these stories that we've most likely heard before, to open our eyes but more so, our ears, sorry, but more so 
our hearts and our minds and see if we can look upon these stories with more reverence and see if we can find anything in there that we, that we missed the first time around, something new. It all begins with the birth of a child. In Luke, we all know this story, where's my... The following month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Congratulations, favored lady. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, What could the angel mean? Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to wonderfully bless you. Very soon now you'll become pregnant and have a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He shall be very great and shall be called the Son of God. And Lord God shall give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he shall reign over Israel forever. His kingdom shall never end. Mary asked the angel, But I, how can I be pregnant? I'm a virgin. To which the angel replied, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of God shall overshadow you, so the baby born to you will be utterly holy, the Son of God. And whether you take this story as allegorical or completely true, that's fine. It's fine. It's, it's not about that. It's about how you judge it, if you start judging it and judge yourself and the miracles that lie latent inside of you. This story, this day, is all about the birth of activity of love, the potential of love that is in us in every single one of those billion cells inside of us. And it is all around us, in nature, in the world, in the universe. And it's whether or not we choose to cultivate that and to bring it into our lives. It's an opportunity to do so. It's about a birth, a birth of goodness and love. And this story, it starts off with a lot of doubt and fear, right? Here's Mary. She's a virgin, and she gets startled in the night by this apparition telling her, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And she's like, what? <laughs> and that, that would garner serious scorn at the time. Mary was of her times, right? And so it was scary. It was fearful. And a lot of times, the new beginnings in our lives, it's fearful. You know, we start a new job. We move. A new relationship. Or maybe we get fearful raising a child of our own because we don't know if we're good enough. We don't have the answers. But it's about caring forward, moving forward with grace and love and compassion and strength like Mary did. It's about doing what is yours to do and doing it with grace and kindness. And this is the ultimate archetypal embodiment of it. Christ is the ultimate example. Jesus is the ultimate example of what we can do if we really allow it to happen. And looking deeper, it's creation. God doesn't care about the rules. You know, Mary was shunned. It was, it was a bad thing in her time to be pregnant out of wedlock. But it's about manifesting and allowing what is going to happen and letting it happen and not judging it. What we think about God is going to make the difference between a haunting fear that weighs us down and keeps us back or an inspirational strength that lets us rise to our greatest capabilities. 
to our greatest experiences, to our greatest activities. And that is a quote from Reverend Paul Hasselbeck. You need Reverend Paul Hasselbeck in his book, Heart-Centered Metaphysics. And I've referenced that quote the past two times I've talked here, and I'm going to continue to reference it till I fully get it ingrained on me in me on a cellular level. Because it's so true, guys. It's so true. How can we achieve anything of our highest good if we're walking around worried that we're going to be punished by a God or something out there for being ourselves? We're all unique. And it was hard listening to these stories when I was a boy (laughs) because a lot of times when mom busted the good book out, I knew fun time was over. And we had to listen to some old school English, some old English that was translated from Greek and Latin, these dead languages that didn't really jive with me. I didn't really get it. But more so than that, it was this underlying fear and doubt that it wasn't possible for me. You know, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, it might as well have been a far off land and a far off galaxy because it was rife with all these mystical stories. When I was raised, Jesus was posed as this magical figure that's way up here, this guy that can do all these amazing things. He's not even really human. That's the way I took it in. And here I am, just Michael Finn in Marble Falls, Texas. I wasn't seeing any miracles. My life was status quo. It was just ho-hum, did what society wanted me to do, my parents told me to do. And it created this distance. If we have that mindset, it creates this distance from this story. And we don't allow it to come in. It's like a, a no from the go. And I encourage us to open up to the idea of miracles. Jesus was the ultimate example, right? He showed us, and his life was rife with them. But I encourage all of you to look inside your hearts, inside your minds, get still right now, and think about your life. Think about what obstacles, what conflicts, what hardships you've transcended. And that's allowed you to be here in this seat right now, in this room full of love, with like-minded individuals. It's possible. And it doesn't have to look like this grandiose thing. It could just be the miracle of being kind when you want to be mean, of opening up when you want to shut down. How high can the vibration go? I mean, this church, Unity, was founded. One of the founding members was Myrtle Fillmore. I always struggle with Myrtle Fillmore. (laughs) It's a tongue twister. And uh, she was diagnosed with chronic tuberculosis back in her day. And it was a serious thing. The medical community didn't have any cures for her, really, at the time. But she didn't take that as her truth. She stepped away, she got silent, and she realized the power of the mind-body connection, of pulling that Christ consciousness out of the ether and imbuing her body with it. She sat there and meditated. She sat there and affirmed and denied And over the course of some years, she was able to completely cure herself. And she shared a message with all those that would hear. It's not just her. I'm reading this book right now called Dying to Be Me. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's by Anita Morjani. And her story is just incredible. It's fantastic. She was this Hindu, she was born in a Hindu community. Her family was staunchly Hindu. Her society was that way too, and her whole circle encapsulated that. And in that culture, as a woman, your whole goal is just to be an attractive, desirable wife for a potential suitor. 
And that didn't really resonate with her. She felt there was more to her story, more to her life. She wanted to travel the world. She wanted to explore. She wanted to start nonprofits to help disenfranchised people. But her father was staunch, and she got betrothed to a man she didn't know, a man she didn't love, and she ran away. She ran away from the marriage. She's a runaway bride. And it created and caused a lot of scorn and shame on her family. Luckily, she did find true love, and she got married, but she carried this energy with her. She carried this low-vibrating just guilt and shame and fear. And she attributes her cancer to that. Not saying that's the case for everybody, but she could not let go of these traumas, and she got really, really intense cancer that she battled with for four years. It ravaged her body to the point where she flatlined, where all her organs gave out. Her skin was weeping with wounds and sores, and she had an NDE near-death experience. And she chronicles that in her book. She went up, and her experience was that, similar to many, I'm sure some of you guys know some other NDEs, she just went to this place of healing and love, and she saw that we were all part of this grand tapestry, and we're all this tiny little golden thread that makes it up. We all have this through line. We all have this purpose. God was all around, and it was good. And she ran into her father's energy, and he came to her, and he said, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. I'm so sorry that I was of this earth, of this world. I I did not transcend it. I love you so much, and I'm sorry what I put you through, but your time here is not done. You have more to do. She went back into her body, woke up after minutes of being dead, and healed her cancer within a matter of weeks, I believe. She stunned the medical community. She walked out of that hospital, and she made it her life's work to tell everybody about it. Not to say, this is your journey, but this is my journey, but this is what you can be capable of. And Anita, and definitely Jesus, weren't put here to please. They were put here to show us the way and show us the truth, the truth for what can be for us and for our fellow man, for our fellow brothers and sisters. These people weren't prophesies. They were everyday folk that have changed their consciousness, raised their vibrations, and tapped in to that Christ consciousness that we so know and so relate to with the story of Jesus. And it shows us this whole process. I feel like we can get beat down sometimes, but this whole process shouldn't be a breeze. It shouldn't be easy. I think, I know I want to skate through life and have everything just be fun, fine, and dandy, but we don't learn anything that way. We learn things through these messages, through these trials and tribulations that are often, these speed bumps in the road are lessons that are wrapped up for you to figure out. And there's that old saying we know that God won't give you anything that you can't handle. And we look to Jesus as the most exemplary example of that. He lived an extraordinary life, but nothing was easy for him. Not in the beginning, definitely not in the end. And when we're going through things that our mind wants to refute, we get a little pity party for ourselves, say, oh, why me? I can't get through this. I guarantee you, you can. If you believe. If you believe. On Christmas, every day. Jesus is not telling us to believe in unbelievable things as if this would somehow please God. He's much more saying to us, try this, and you will see for yourself that it is true. 
But that initial trying is always a leap of faith into some kind of action or practice. That was Father Richard Rohr in his writings, Preparing for Christmas, Daily Meditations for Advent. Your journey might be difficult, challenging, perilous even. But take heart and seek the light. Be a wayfinder. Look for the light that's all around you. With that in mind, I'm going to light this Christmas candle. Let it be a reminder for us to always seek that light that is inside of us, that is around us. It'll light the way, just like it did for these wise men. The story of Matthew. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some astrologers from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the far off eastern lands and have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed by their question as all of Jerusalem was filled with rumors. He called a meeting of all the religious Jewish leaders, and ask, Did the prophets tell us where the Messiah would be born? Yes, in Bethlehem, they said. For this is what the prophet Micah wrote. O little town of Bethlehem, you are not just an unimportant Judean village, for a governor shall rise from you, and you will rule my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the astrologers, asking them to come and see him. At this meeting, he found out from them at the exact time when they first saw the star. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the astrologers started out again. And look, the star appeared to them again, standing over Bethlehem, and their joy knew no bounds. Entering the house where the baby and his mother were, they threw themselves down before him, worshiping. Then they opened their presents and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when they returned to their own land, they didn't go through Jerusalem to report to Herod, for God had warned them in a dream to go home another way. And that star guided them, that light guided them to the Christ child. And they went against their orders from Herod to go back. And we all, well, most of us might know what happened after that. Herod was very displeased, and he ordered a decree to execute all the baby boys under the age of two in any radius of where the light of the star had fallen. So thank goodness they listened to, their, they listened to God. They listened to that message. And so many times in our lives we are guided by this inner voice, this feeling that may arise out of nowhere. And we know it as what we call a gut feeling, right? It just kind of comes out and it feels like this very intrinsic intelligence that's inside of us. And oftentimes we follow it, it'll lead us to our higher good if we don't refute it. If we squash it before we have a chance to let it bloom, we tend to suffer because a lot of times what our gut's telling us to do is not popular in terms of society, in terms of our conditioning, in terms of our parents, what the authorities have told us to do. But on Christmas Day, the Christ Spirit was born in Jesus and in me. And we put these stars on our trees and lights on our trees to remind us of this. It's about the presence, but it's also about the presence of heart and mind. And I hope that it's true for all of you, but it's the one day of the year where everything just falls away from me. There's no deadlines, there's no stress, 
I'm able just to be fully present with my family, with my kids, and my loved ones. And that's glorious. And we need that. We need that time to recharge. It's about finding that there's more space than we think. In the story, you know, there's no room at the end. But we can always make more room in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, for goodness, to welcome others. I mean, last year I think we had 18, maybe 20 people at our Christmas dinner, and some of them were people I didn't even know. Uh, One couple was my stepbrother-in-law's girlfriend's parents. (laughs) So say that three times fast and see if you can get that out. We didn't know them, but they came in, and we had the most amazing, wonderful conversation. Our hearts were full. The table was full. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter where you're from, if we knew you or not. It was just honoring the ability to be together and the goodness that arises from opening your heart and letting the light in. And if you guys need a place to go tomorrow, I swear there's always room at the Fin Inn. (laughs) It's my promise to you. It's a time of coming together and gathering and realizing we have more in common than we do that's different. All that we're ever really seeking is love and peace. We just tend to feel threatened, like Herod, because a lot of times if things are going well, if we have things, we're worried that someone's going to come and take them and usurp them, and we hold on and we cling to it. We close up, we constrict, we extinguish that light before we have the chance to let it grow. And we don't have the answers, right? But I know that God is good because we have the ability to feel love. We have the ability to feel pure, unadulterated love at this time. And it's about taking this feeling into our everyday lives. And when we argue with people, we fight. It's only because their experiences are different than ours. They've seen things differently than us. They've experienced things different than us. So it's only right that they would have different opinions. And this time of year, man, it can be... It can be kind of dicey. <laughs> we get stuck with family, people we were close to but not close to. I remember just last week, I was at a family gathering, and I felt this heat rush up in me because I was talking to a family member about their view on God, and it differed than mine. And I wanted to lash out, and be like, no, you're wrong, and it's just because I was scared. Scared because I don't want to be wrong. It's human. To want to be in power and being a troll makes us feel safe. Christmas is all about letting go of that. It's the birth of something meek and mild, and that energy changed the world. It was radical, and the world wasn't ready for it. And it still is not, it seems. I mean, there was no Christianity before Jesus. But ever since his time here, humans just want to fight about what it and he means to them. And it's a fallacy. We've created this improper way of thinking. You don't need silken robes to feel close to spirit. You don't need to be in a gold-leaf church to worship. And you definitely don't need clenched fists to defend your God, your Christ. That wasn't the walk that Jesus walked, and he wouldn't want you to do that either. It's about being kind. It's about being humble. And like, it's not a popular thing. Oftentimes this stuff is not popular. It's not popular to be kind and meek and humble and without, self, without agenda. Quite the opposite, actually. I remember when we were on our family trip in Italy this year, we had this amazing, amazing tour of the Colosseum. And the tour guide was so knowledgeable, so interesting. And he started talking about how it was built, all that went into it, 
what happened, how, how long it took, what happened within its walls. And we got into the Roman Empire and their ethos. And at a certain point, Jesus came up. And he was like, man, Jesus was just so radical because his whole ethos, his ideology was love thy neighbor. Whereas the Romans' ideology and mindset was such a stark contrast to that. It was kill thy neighbor and love yourself. And that was almost 2,000, over 2,000 years ago. And it still seems like we don't have that message yet. The kingdom is finally to be identified as Lord Jesus himself. When we say, come Lord Jesus on Christmas Day, we are preferring his lordship to any other loyalty system or any final frame of reference. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. If Jesus is Lord, then the economy and the stock market are not. If Jesus is Lord, then my house, my possessions, my family, my job are not. If Jesus is Lord, then I am not. That multi-leveled implication was obvious to first century members of the Roman Empire because the phrase Caesar is Lord was the empire's loyalty test and political bumper sticker. They and the others knew they had changed parties when they welcomed Jesus as Lord instead of the Roman Emperor as their Lord and Savior. That's some wonderful insight again from Father Richard Rohr. And when you embody Jesus, you are in this world, but you're not of it. You know? It's so much kinder to give in to hate than it is to stay into love. It's so much popular more popular to think about yourself and not others. But it's a higher path. It's a higher path. And like Jesus, we were born into seemingly perilous circumstances. When you hold a little baby, they're the most innocent things in the world, and they were so close to that spiritual realm. The veil is very, very thin. And you can tell that by holding them and being next to that energy. And at some point, to no fault of our own, on our journeys, the traumas, the violence, the indiscretions of this plane starts to seep into that. And we try our best to keep it at bay. It's hard. But it's a choice to be like God. It's a choice to do good and not beat yourself up for when you slip and fall. We're human. It's a choice. You can be Herod-like or you can be Jesus-like. There's this story. It's a Native American story. Um, when the elders sit around the campfire with the younger children and they tell them that inside of them there are two wolves at battle, the light wolf and the dark wolf. And the dark wolf, like Herod, represents greed, jealousy, fear, anxiety, hate, violence. And the light wolf, like Jesus, represents kindness, meekness, love, light, goodness. So, of course, the children ask, which wolf wins? To which the elder replies, whichever one you feed. So on this Christmas holiday, as we are 
feeding ourselves, others. I remind you to constantly feed yourself goodness and grace and love. Because at this time, we're looking for a Savior. We always seek a Savior. It'd be a Christmas miracle, and I'd love it if we all could just be that Savior for ourselves, for our family, our children, brothers and sisters in a world that so desperately needs us to cast its light into it. And as you move forward, remember that that North Star, you don't have to look any further than right here. I promise you. I wish you all a very blessed, blessings upon blessings upon blessings, and a very, very Merry Christmas. Let's just take these thoughts into a quick meditation. I want us all to realize that there's nothing we have to do than just be ourselves. Moving forward, I encourage you all to just find peace from the tip of your toes all the way up to the crown of your head. Take a breath. Take a breath into that ever-expansive soul that resides in every single one of us. It has no beginning and it has no end. So take heart on the journey that you are in the right place at the right time. And when things get stressful, hectic, and you feel like you might lose sight of your light, for yourself, just breathe a little love into it. You realize that you have the capacity, just like Mary and Joseph, to carry it safely with love through this world. Take a few more breaths into it slow. Just exhale anything that you might be keeping, anything you might be storing up that doesn't serve you. Blow it out in the ether and let it go. You have the ability to let it go. And you have the ability to keep yourself. Let's remember this stillness. Let's remember this ever-expansive space whenever whenever we might seem lost. But we're never lost. We're just journeying. God bless you all. And so it is.